I love the freedom that I feel in my mind and in my body. And that's because of the people I have around me. And I just wish I could go back and tell my teenage self, like, stop trying so hard for other people. What's going on, everybody? Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 266 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course have some fun along the way. There's something that makes me so giddy about September and fall, and I just feel like we are in the groove. I'm excited right now. Life feels exciting right now, and I could not be more amped on today's guest. It's Sean Johnson East. You know her as an Olympic gymnast. She's also a wife, a mom, a New York Times best-selling author. And oh my gosh, I have been looking forward to recording this episode literally since the moment I started Hurdle. Sean and I first connected a few years back for an event that I hosted on behalf of Cliff Bar. I was able to interview her as part of a panel discussion. And this has been a conversation for the show that's been in the making, gosh, since then, probably at least four years. In today's episode, we talk about it all. We talk about what it was like for her to excel at her sport at such a young age. Sean was in the Olympics at age 16, where she earned herself four medals, including one gold and three silver. We have a really interesting conversation about those silver medals and what they meant to her at that time. Plus, how it felt for her when she did walk away from gymnastics after a brief attempt at a comeback navigating so many difficult hurdles around self-worth and a whole lot of unknown. On that note, Sean opens up to me about her experience with therapy, about working with a sports psychologist, about going to couples therapy. We really dive in here. Plus, how excited she is about this chapter as a mom, currently pregnant with her third child, and how becoming a mom has completely shifted her perspective on what's really important in life. Of course, we also chat about the wonderful relationship she has with her husband, Andrew, and what it's like for the two of them to be business partners and co-parents and husband and wife, how they navigate all of the different titles within their relationship. Make sure, if you're not doing so yet already, you are following along with Hurdle on social. It's over at Hurdle Podcast. I am also over at Emily Abadi and the weekly Hurdle newsletter. I want you to get it in your inbox every Friday. So much of the same stuff you love from the show delivered directly for free. The link to subscribe is in the show notes. With that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Sean Johnson. Many of you know her as an Olympian gymnast, but she's also a wife, a mom, a best-selling author. Does that ever get old, being like, she's a New York Times best-selling author? No, and I forget about it all the time, but 
It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. When you have so many things in your multi-hyphenate, it's kind of like, well, I'm just a jack of all trades here. Yeah, I guess so. I, I feel like so much of it like is the umbrella of gymnastics. So I've forgotten so much of it now that I'm like mom and wife that you say it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that back then. Back then, that thing back then yeah. that I did, that was so awesome. I'm a little bummed knowing that your lucky number is 19 and we're recording on the 7th. I know. Seven is great. Seven's a great number. A lot of people feel like seven is their lucky number. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are and just cusping past your Olympic anniversary. It's so weird. Like, I know you said that a lot of things fall under the umbrella of gymnastics, but these days, do you still heavily identify in that way or are you? leaning more into this mother and wife chapter definitely more mother wife chapter even going back into the gymnastics world like I got to do this big 15-year reunion with my whole Olympic team I feel it it feels like a different lifetime and I kind of love that I love that I've been able to like recreate my brand and myself and I love that I don't have to identify you know as just the gymnast anymore which is really cool. But yeah, it's weird. I, I'm definitely more mom social media, which is so weird. <laughs> like, no. Well, it is 15 years since the yeah. 2008 Olympics. That sentence in itself, how does that make you feel? Old. Very old. I feel like I'm like oh. imposter syndrome a little bit, but I still feel like I'm 16. And then I'm like, oh, shoot. No, I'm 31, which is young, but then also is old. So I just don't know. I don't know anymore. I just don't know. Well, I think it's irrefutable that you certainly are a staple when we think of gymnastics, Olympics. So no matter how old you may feel, it's irrefutable. And it's interesting that you bring up the word or the term imposter syndrome. Let's elaborate on that a little bit. What do you think that stems from? Oh my gosh. Just being the world's most obsessed perfectionist. Even through my gymnastics career, I had this image in my mind. I'd watched all the movies. I'd watched all the documentaries and stuff about Olympians and how they were supposed to achieve Olympic success. And it was like sacrifice every single thing in your life, become miserable, um, you know, go through all these things. And I just never experienced that. I was such a lucky and fortunate kid. I had a really healthy family. I had an amazing coach who's like my second dad. I loved gymnastics all the way through the Olympics. I was like a kid playing. And I remember like finding myself on the first place podium and I'd be like, something's wrong here. Like there's been a fluke in the system. This shouldn't be mine. It's still too fun. I'm still just playing. And I think I still live that way. I still love what I do and things just kind of work themselves out. And I just don't know how <laughs> they work out because you're choosing this perspective. It's so interesting hearing you reflect so positively because I've heard you talk about the experience holistically in so many different ways. Now, knowing that, yes, you were on the first place podium, but you were also on the quote unquote second place or silver medal podium three times over. And that experience was entirely different for you, was it not? Mm -hmm. It was. It was a it was a challenge because getting all the way to the Olympics and having this like perspective of I, I was still a kid. I was still uh, allowed to love my sport, but I was fighting 
the world and the culture that said I had to win and I had to do this and I had to perform a certain way and I had to be a certain person and I had to look a certain way and I had to weigh a certain weight. And I, I was fighting all the not fun stuff. And when I came in second three times over, um, I, from my coach and from my upbringing, was still very happy. But from world culture, I was a failure. And I was balancing this like yin and yang vibe of playing and I'm doing what I love. But also there's so many people in the world telling me that I'm like failing and I shouldn't feel good about myself. And I have like all these things. So it was it was a lot of like trying to fight outside voices. You were 16. <laughs> life as a 16 year old life at any stage, like let's just establish this is challenging, but being 16 and having that many eyes on you and having that many opinions on who you are, what you're doing, the fact that you are seemingly, at least we're still getting to know each other, like a well-adjusted and normal human at this point is truly impressive and an accomplishment within itself. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know how I got here, but <laughs> great family, great husband. There you go. Great support team, right? And that's so important. You touched on the pressure to look a certain way and be a certain weight. Let's chat a little bit about that. Do you remember the first time that someone commented on the aesthetics of your body? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, I was very lucky to have a coach who he was so hyper aware of all of this. He had come from kind of the worst of situations in stereotypical gymnastics from the Chinese team. And so his dream in starting a gym and raising successful gymnasts in the United States was to go against all of that, to raise kids that were mentally healthy, that didn't have body issues, that didn't struggle with nutritional issues. Like he was such, he's such a phenomenal coach. <laughs> but the first time that I remember people starting to comment on my body was when I made the national team. So the national team coaches would pull me aside and say, you can't eat this. You need to lose so much weight. The judges prefer a different physique. And it was just, it was just constant. And it was constantly balancing what they say versus what my coach was saying. And being a young kid, I mean, I was 12 at the time. I just remember not knowing how to like internalize it. And I didn't know how to fix it. Mm, even that word fix it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's such like a, a loud presence in that sentence and being 12 at 12, as women in America, we're already digesting and being shown so many images via the conventional media about what the quote unquote perfect body type looks like. And then being an athlete already, you're at such a different place than even the normal 12 year old. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a lot back then for me because in the sport of gymnastics back in 2008 during the Olympics, but kind of in my upbringing, I was a different style of gymnast than really our generation had seen. Um, the type of gymnastics that was very common um, and was 
kind of idolized back in my day was very, was Nastia Lucan. It was that very slender, very flexible, artistic, just stunning line gymnast. And that's not me. <laughs> I am very muscular and strong, um, <clears throat> not flexible. And <laughs> I do more of the tricks. I'm not like the beautiful artistry girl. And so I kind of felt that pushback from a young age of like, this is different and you're not fitting this mold. And all the way up through the Olympics, I had kind of had to go against all of these people because I was somehow winning or doing well, but then people were saying, you still have to change. And I think the only thing that validated myself was as long as I kept winning, I would have confidence to be like, but I don't have to change because mm. it's working. If I ever fell or if I made mistakes, I'd be like, maybe, maybe I do need to change. And so the unhealthy sides would come out. Yeah. You've spoke out many a time about the unhealthy sides that resulted from being around all of this feedback, specifically suffering from an eating disorder back in 2008 that led you up to the 2008 Olympics. Do you remember how it felt operating on, I believe you shared at one point, 700 calories a day performing at that level? Um, not great, but it's hard because going back to that, the only thing that I really remember is I remember I cramped a lot, um, but I didn't know any different. So it's hard for me to go back and say I felt miserable because I didn't. I My body was such a healthy 16-year-old body that it was able to adapt to a 700-calorie diet, which is horrible. Like, I don't encourage that for anybody. Um, but it worked. And I was fine. I think it wasn't until later on in life that I got to reflect on that and be like, I just, I wonder how I would have felt if I was nutritionally sound. <laughs> I probably would have done, probably not, I probably would not have done any different, hmm. but I probably would have felt better. At that time, did you share what you were doing with anyone? No. No. We, we lived in a different time and different system back then before kind of like the downfall of USA Gymnastics and gymnastics in general, yeah. when all these parameters and protection came out. But back then, there was this odd mentality with the governing bodies of gymnastics that refused to look at us as children. Mm. It was It was almost like they would force you to be adults. We would live in the Olympic Village by ourselves. We would function as adults. We'd do our own laundry. We'd like, we were adults. We were <laughs> whatever. And I think because they they saw us as these professionals, they failed to recognize that we were children that needed a lot more guidance than an adult. So we didn't have psychologists. We didn't have nutritionists. We didn't have that support system that educated us to be the best we were able to be. For me, it was kind of like, I'm going to handle this on my own. I am an Olympic athlete. I'm capable of handling this on my own. I was taught to think like an adult. So I had to handle it like an adult. 2008, the Olympics come and go. You're being treated as an adult at that time. How do you think that being treated as an adult back when you were 16 has 
impacted you up until this point now being a mother at 31? Mm. It's made me want to support my children a lot more than I think even they need. But I think as a kid being kind of forced into this mentality by just my surroundings of, of needing to act like an adult, I grew up with this mentality of like, I can handle anything by myself. I don't need your help. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to show weakness. I'm not going to do any of this. I've got it. And that was a very unhealthy mindset to have for so long. My husband is actually the one that really helped me through a lot of that. He was like, I need you to like ask for help. <laughs> I was like, okay, I whatever. So we've worked through that. But now as a mom with my own children, it's just... I try to celebrate their childhood more than ever, like my parents did before I was kind of taken under the wing of USA Gymnastics people. And I just, I, I truly try to like protect that and support them in any way I can. That's really special. They're really lucky to be able to kind of reap the benefits of a situation that had other not so ideal ramifications. Yeah. It, it's funny. And I even answering all these questions, I feel like I contradict myself so much. And I think that's because I'm an adult now and I've, I'm able to reflect on everything that I went through. But I've had so many conversations with my parents and my coaches even now. And everything that I went through as a kid, I would go through again. I, I loved my upbringing. I was so fortunate. I was protected by an amazing coach, by amazing parents, I got to see a lot. I got to witness a lot. And there was a lot of corruption. And I, I was aware of that as a kid. Um, but I was very lucky to be protected by it. And I think now as an adult, it's hard because it's hard to, to remember back and reflect on because I know now as an adult what was wrong. But I didn't know it was wrong back when I was a kid, if that makes sense. How could you have? Yeah. I just love gymnastics. So I was willing to work through anything. Yeah. It's me. I, I think I need probably a therapist to help me work through these. But um, Wait, are you insinuating that you haven't worked through them with a therapist? No, I haven't. I probably should. That's kind of surprising to me knowing that I'm assuming and again, projecting here, but did you work with a sports psychologist at all when you were heavily ingrained in sport? Very much so. When I was trying to make a comeback for 2012, I did work with a, psych a sports psychologist and I loved him. He was phenomenal. But by the time I was introduced to him, I was checked out. Mm. And I knew I kind of, no matter what he told me, I knew I was done with my sport. So it just was, it just wasn't working. Why do you think that you haven't leaned into therapy yet? <sighs> this is going to go deep and dark here quickly. As a child, I, I went through so much. And all of my memories that are truly mine are 99% great. After I retired from my sport, there was so much darkness that was brought to light. And I'm so, and this is probably why I desperately need therapy <laughs> to go through this. But part of me wants to keep that door shut and keep it as happy as possible to protect all of my memories instead of rewrite them with the understanding of what actually was going on. 
and repaint things in such a dark light that I just don't know if I want to handle as an adult that's already moved on. But I'm sure if a therapist listens to this, they're like, honey, you need to see me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, it's understandable, right? And the power there is that you get to choose your perspective as you move forward. So whether or not you do decide eventually to speak to someone, you get to choose how you move forward, having been informed by that conversation, just as you get to choose your perspective right now with the memories that you're holding dear to you. Yeah. I do think I'll open that door someday. I just think it's one of those things, especially with kids that I'm so in mom mode that I'm not ready to address my inner child. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if I'll ever be, but Maybe someday. We'll see. I think it's helpful and like really refreshing to hear this perspective, right? Because I'm sure that there are so many people that are listening to this that really relate and sympathize to your sentiments behind kind of holding off on something like that. Yeah, which is funny because I am the first to sign up for therapy when with my husband, we go to a lot of couples counseling. I have gone through so much therapy when it comes to nutrition and eating disorders it's just that gymnastic store. I just not there yet. Not there yet. Not there yet. And you yeah. have to be the person that makes that decision, right? You cannot be forced upon you because if it's forced upon you, then it's very unlikely that it's going to be something that you allow the work to happen within you. Yeah. I actually went to one session for gymnastics with like a new counselor and I never went back. And I was like, <laughs> no, not ready yet. Not, <laughs> not ready there. yet. Not ready yet. Yeah, I've heard you recently speak about how you feel in your body being pregnant and that uh, you've posted some really hilarious content about, you know, the 99.5% of the time when you just like hate being in your body in this moment versus like the 0.5% of the time that you feel beautiful in it. I would love to hear you speak a little bit about the dichotomy between feeling uncomfortable in your body as a young woman and then how you feel in your body right now. Oh my gosh. So back when I was a kid, when I was younger, going through like eating disorders and I was very uncomfortable with like the body and the body image and insecurities and like discomfort there, that was more of like a, it was, it was a vanity issue um, and a, a material side issue where I was afraid of judgment of others. I didn't think I, I looked the way people wanted me to look. So everything that I dealt with in like insecurity and discomfort was just because of other people's judgment. I don't know how to say that. I worked on that for many, many years and was able to like, for the most part, overcome it. I definitely have times where, you know, Instagram comments get to me or whatever. Yes. But for the most part, I can get past judgment of others. The only like opinion that I care about is my own and my husband's. And I love that. And I don't think my husband would ever think that I'm anything but (laughs) beautiful to him, which is (laughs) also an eye roll to a certain extent from a wife's perspective, but it's also so, so sweet. Now pregnant in the discomfort that I, I deal with and kind of the thoughts and not loving this phase is more so like a physical discomfort. I had worked so hard for so long with a nutritionist and a psychologist to like overcome these insecurities and discomforts of my body that feeling healthy and strong on a daily basis gives me so much life and gives me so much pride. 
when I'm pregnant and my ankles hurt because I'm carrying an extra 50 pounds and I can't breathe and my lungs are being compressed and all of these things. And I just like, I literally can't like touch my toes. It's like this physical discomfort that feels so foreign. And I have to constantly juggle on a daily basis. Like I'm so proud my body can do this. And you need to like, I need to be able to recognize that this is such a beautiful thing. It's both. And not, yeah. And not just uncomfortable and not cute. (laughs) Both is hard. It is. It is. And it's hard. Like, because I put so much effort and work into having confidence in what I look like and feel like, having that weird looking at myself naked in a mirror right now is just kind of like a, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) And it's just this like confliction of feeling and knowing that you are healthy, but there are things beyond your control right now that like you just can't reclaim that space for you. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have OB appointments every four weeks and my OB is a godsend to me. She is as fit as anyone I've ever met in my life. (laughs) And I'm constantly like, but is the weight okay? Is this fun? And she's like, you're doing great. Like, but you're doing so great. I love what you said about knowing, uh, like deep in your core that the only opinion that matters of you is the opinion that you have of yourself and that your husband has of you. Can you talk to me about the journey to get to that place a little bit? Because I know for certain there are so many people listening to this right now that want to feel that way genuinely. I know. I mean, For people who want to feel that way, the only way I was able to feel that way was through the help of a nutritionist and psychologist. I'm preaching to myself therapy, but I'm also admitted in this interview that I'm afraid of it. So (laughs) uh, I'm aware of this. But my my nutritionist, I worked with, and I still talk to her every once in a while when I'm like needing help with something. Um, But I worked with her weekly, monthly for about 10 years. Wow. And it was the first probably five years where we tackled this, this specific topic of like thoughts, judgments, voices. And she always said it was voices. And I remember every time I would talk to her, see her, call her, she'd be like, what are the voices telling you today? And no matter what people say, it's how you interpret them and what your brain is telling you in that moment. So she, I would say like, they're telling me I'm eating too much or I'm not eating enough or I can't eat carbs or I need to look a certain, whatever it was, they'd be telling me something. And she would work on just over, reiterating over and over and over. Let's work on those voices. Like every time you hear a bad one, let's try to like replace the negative with positive. And we just worked on, um, being very aware of what were like intruders (laughs) and what was real, like what was fake, what was false and real truth and like just reality. Yeah. And just through a lot of like reflection of like, why am I thinking this? Why are the voices telling me this? How can I fix it? Just like that awareness, the self-awareness every day for years, just slowly quieted them. And then with my husband, 
once I was able to like recognize when these voices would start creeping in again, and I was able to articulate that to my husband, he was also able to be a support system for me and help tell me what truth was versus a falsified opinion. And I don't know if any of that made sense. No, it totally makes sense. I mean, you're articulating the difference between intrusive intrusive thoughts and figuring out what is fact and what is feeling, right? And understanding that we are going to have thoughts, but our thoughts are not us. Uh, And that's a really hard, hard place to get to linger in and then be able to sort out the difference, especially when the thoughts are so loud. And what I'm also hearing you say here, this is going back to our conversation on allowing people to help you. That must have Mm -hmm. been really special and kind of intimate within your relationship to get to a place where you allowed him to help you with something that was really a struggle point. It was. And it was so terrifying finally telling him like the the full weight of it. Like I would tell him little tidbits here and there of like insecurities or whatever. But when I finally like told him everything of like eating disorders and how long I struggled with it and how I couldn't get out of bed sometimes because I was so scared of like whatever. Um it was really interesting. He He's such an eager to learn person. And it was interesting for me because it took so much effort for him to understand because he, because it was such a foreign topic to him. And he's like, what do you mean? Why can't you just stop, you know, or why can't you just not listen to these voices or whatever? And going through that journey with him of truly explaining kind of how crippling eating disorders and mental health issues can be was so, I don't know, freeing because now like at my OB appointment yesterday, just, I was having a down day and I was, my husband went with me and I was like, you know what? I'm probably going to turn my back on the scale today, just so you know. And he was like, Thank you for telling me. And it it just kind of tells him that my brain is a little weak today and I need his support. And he totally understands it. And it's so nice. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. And I also think it's really exemplary of the work that can go into relationships, right? Like saying something is bothering me, but then also being able to illustrate the true weight of that and be able to come together and work on that together. It's really special that you have someone in your life that like sees you in this way. Mm -hmm. It's also been really refreshing for him because I think when, especially in a relationship, when you're willing to be that vulnerable, which can be scary because it, it, to a certain extent, it can make people feel less attractive or less, you know, I don't know. I genuinely think that's a fear that we all have, right? Like just getting that deep with someone and letting them truly see us and thinking that they won't like the us that we open the door to allow them to see. But it agreed. And that was my fear. But to see what's come from it. When my husband was going through the NFL, he struggled with like crippling anxiety. Mm. And he had never dealt with that before. And it, I think it was because of me being able to open up my vulnerability mm-hmm. that he shared it with me day in and day out, asking for support and help. And that was really huge for both, both of us to be able to tackle together. 
taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, my friends at Future. You want to know what it takes to achieve your fitness goals? Well, let me tell you. It takes a roadmap <laughs> and a trusted co-pilot. And that is exactly where Future comes in. Future is a newer way to get fully customized personal training that revolves entirely around you. No matter what gets you moving, you'll find the guidance, motivation, and accountability to push beyond your comfort zone with Future. I have been using Future for, gosh, what, like a year now? And I am obsessed. It has all of the benefits of one-on-one personal training without the one-hour time limit and strict schedule. Whether you need tips for sleeping the night before a race or nutrition advice after setting a deadlift PR, your coach is really there to help create a competitive edge whenever and wherever you need it. My coach, Brandon, has been absolutely instrumental in helping me stay on my game no matter where I am in the world, especially last week in Chamonix, working with me and the tools that I had access to, to feel the best possible way that I could in my body, despite being away from home. Of course, I've got a special deal for you on future because... This is what we do here at Hurdle. They're giving Hurdle listeners 50% off their first month by heading to tryfuture.co slash hurdle. Again, that is tryfuture.co slash hurdle to get 50% off your first month of personal training today. Also, got to give some love to my friends at Element. Oh my goodness, what would I do without Element, especially in the summer months, especially during the height of marathon training season. Element makes electrolytes with everything you need and nothing you don't. My go-to is the watermelon salt flavor, but they have a taste for every single person from citrus and orange, another one of my favorites, to raspberry and mango chili. Element gives you the ideal electrolyte ratio so that you can be giving your body what it needs to perform at its best. I'm talking 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, and 60 milligrams magnesium. And the best part, unlike other sports drinks that you may grab at your local bodega or CVS or 7-Eleven or whatever, this has no sugar and no other dodgy ingredients. I love my element, and I know that you will too. The best thing, of course... We've got a perk for you. Head on over to drinklmnt.com slash hurdle to get a free sample pack with your order today. Again, that is drinklmnt.com slash hurdle to get a free sample pack of all of the flavors with your order today. of your husband. You two do so much together, podcast and work together, clearly also personally raising a family together, being with each other. What would you say is the upside and the downside to having such an integrated personal and professional relationship with your partner? I think the upside and the downside are the same. That's why I was trying to like figure out how to say it is it requires so much accountability, spending every waking second together. And I say that in the sense of like the upside of accountability is our line of dialogue and communication is probably more than anybody's used to. But in any given day, I'm addressing my business partner, my husband, and the father of my children and my friend. And if any one of those has like a hard day, which 
they all probably have a hard day on any given day. <laughs> um, we have to be able to communicate through it and be like, you know what? I had a hard day as your business partner that does not affect me as your husband. And have like working through those lines, the upside is our communication is so strong. The downside is that it requires so much accountability effort of being like, I didn't snap, like I wasn't snippy with you as my wife. I was snippy because we didn't agree in business today. And it's just like, it can take a lot. <laughs> yeah. Understandable. Totally understandable. Do you feel excited when you have the opportunity to do things solo or do you feel like a little bit of something is missing? We are both very independent people. So we love taking adventures on our own. We have our own, like I have my own women's group. He has his own men's group. We have our own solo time each, like every day. But he's my best friend <laughs> in life. And even though I like doing things solo, I still wish he was always there. Well, that's adorable. <laughs> You're like, yep, I just caught myself saying that. When you say you have solo time every day, is this something that's scheduled in? I'm just kind of curious. It is. So we each schedule workouts every day. Andrew usually works out early in the morning. And we used to like work out together, but we found that it was like we each enjoyed working out by ourselves better. <laughs> um, just like the grunt work of it. We like being able to like mentally decompress. So Andrew works out in the morning. I usually work out like mid-morning, but that's always like a, you get an hour or two hours. I've got the kids. I've got the house. And then we swap. Yeah. Talk to me about how your relationship has uh, ebbed and flowed with your fitness, wellness, workout routine since dialing it back from being a professional athlete. Oh, my God. Um <laughs> It's gone through every possible peak and valley. So I went from, I have done everything from being like complete sloth mode, never does anything, but watches Netflix and each like eats pancakes to, I would schedule unhealthily four workout classes a day. I would go for a run on top of it and would have to like have every hour doing something physical to now I am probably not as active as I wish I was, but I think that's just the phase of life I'm in having two toddlers and being pregnant. But I I'm definitely li like living the phase of life where everything's in moderation. I listen to my body. Sleep is the most important for me. And I probably work out two or three times a week at max. Yeah. So what you're doing is prioritizing how you want to feel, which is like as good as you can within your body and listening to what your body yeah. needs. Yes. So these days, obviously, being so far along in your pregnancy, we're just talking about a lot more low impact kind of stuff. I still like throw around barbells and stuff all the time. Oh, I love to hear that. It's the only thing that makes me feel good pregnant, which is really funny. <laughs> Going back to kind of that adjustment period from being a professional athlete to shifting now, you 
before we're talking about creating content. Talk to me about that transition period and how you start to dial in on what your life would look like professionally after you took a step away from the bar, the beam, the mat, and so on. I mean, that was a roller coaster too. And that took me a long time to figure out. I went directly from elite level gymnastics in the Olympics to kind of running the the gamut of show like stereotypical stuff. I would do all the interviews. I would do public speaking. I would motivational speaking, wrote a book, um, did all of these things. Was very like in the limelight heavy for a long time. Dancing with the stars. Got burnt out. Yeah. Dancing with the stars. <laughs> the apprentice. Um, whose line is it anyway? All these different things, <laughs> random things, but super fun. Um, got burnt out of all of it. Didn't work for two years at all. Um, met and dated my husband at the time through those two years. And then slowly started to rebuild myself in a different platform, in a different way, on my own terms, social media. Um, built a company, started school, just did all of these things. And it was a really hard transition. I felt like I tried to live the limelight of a gymnast for so long and I just got so tired of it. And I was like, you know what? I don't think this will last forever and I don't want it to. Mm. So I'm going to take a leap of faith and try to build something else. And if it doesn't work, it's fine. And it seemed to work. So <laughs> It's so funny, right? Because I think so often when we think about pivoting or changing the plan that maybe we had already set out for ourselves, that concept of uh, change is scary, but also it's this realization that the worst thing that can happen in most cases is the fact that we might just end up exactly where we started. Yep. Well, and for me too, it was like, it's going full circle. It was that unlovable feeling. I was afraid that without gymnastics, I wasn't worthy of someone, which is silly, um, but very common for people to feel. And in that two-year period when I had quit working and I was like really not doing anything with my life, I met my husband and he loved me for me with nothing. And so he's the one that kind of enabled that confidence to start from nothing because worst case scenario was nothing worked and he was still around, which was great. <laughs> which was great. I know that you um were introduced to your husband through his brother. Yes. So he knew who you were in terms of like Sean Johnson, the gymnast before you started dating. He did. He did. <laughs> However, something that was very endearing about him and I, it was definitely like, I think it was definitely a strategy, but it's also like who he is genuinely. He didn't bring up gymnastics ever. Like never once. I, a really interesting part of like who I was at that time when we started dating was every single person I met in life. The only thing they wanted to know about me was gymnastics. How was the Olympics? How did you, whatever. And he never once asked a question that pertained to my gymnastics career. Never mentioned the Olympics, nothing. And the only time we would ever talk about it is if I ever brought it up. And it just made me feel like such, it made me feel like a human and not this like piece of property for the world, I guess. And he was the first person curious about me. And I, it was just amazing. Yeah. 
I love the way that your energy just lights up when you talk about that time and being seen as Sean, the person beyond Sean, the Olympian, Sean, the four-time medalist on that note, getting to know Sean, the person, what would you say is the most exciting thing for Sean right now? Um, my babies. (laughs) (laughs) I am all mom these days. Sean, the video of you telling your daughter about the baby in your tummy is the most cute video. It's the cutest video ever. Thank you. (laughs) I live to be a mom. I love to work. I love what I do. I love to come into the office every day, but my babies are my life. And just like to see them grow up and stuff. That is the most exciting. I'm so excited for this baby. I'm so excited for them to join the family. When you think about motherhood and maybe the lessons that you learned from your own mother, is there anything in particular that you're most excited to instill within your children? My husband and I have kind of talked about this and I think both of our parents did such a phenomenal job with it. We both were raised in very different households as far as like upbringing and income and like everything but we are both raised to believe we were capable of anything and there was no limit like we we both were big dreamers and our parents would go to the ends of the earth to see their dreams come true and I want to give that to our children as well I do want to go back to the note when we were talking about pursuing your own individual business ventures. I know that you and I recently connected again when we were at a Kalia event in New York the second time after we had the opportunity to sit down a few years ago for an interview. God, maybe like 2018 New York. Time flies when you're having fun. Talk to me about being kind of at the forefront working with Kalia and how that's been for you. I adore Kalia. (laughs) Adore. I have had the opportunity and pleasure of working with so many companies over the years. And I think in every phase of life, I've noticed that very specific brands work for a very specific person. Mm. And I was signed as the elite athlete and I was signed as the, you know, the mom and I was signed as whatever it was, but I always had to fit a certain kind of niche to be associated with a brand. And I think one of the most powerful things that I've learned for working firsthand with Kalia is that they want to celebrate women in general. And they want their brand to like be suited to every woman in the world. And it's so, so cool because I can go as a six-month pregnant woman and throw barbells around in Kalia attire and feel like I'm taking on the world. Or I can go into a business meeting with a board and wear Kalia and feel like a boss. And my mom wears it. And um, our like manager of our company wears it, who's also like six foot tall. And <laughs> it's just, it's it's been so cool to see how much they care about catering to all women. And it's been really special because I've never, I've really never experienced that with a company before. And yeah. it's been really cool. Yeah. And it, I'd be curious also, like, again, talking about being at the forefront, being a face of something along with, of course, many other women, how that feels for you these days as you're trying to find like homeostasis in your own body. I mean, 
I'm a mother to a daughter. So it means everything. I feel like that's honestly the reason why I ended up coming out and sharing like my eating disorder stories and like everything is I struggled so much as a young girl because I didn't feel like I had anybody to relate to. I feel like everybody just kind of was naturally just who they were and they were okay with it. And I felt alienated because I had insecurities. And I feel like being a woman now associated with a brand like Kalia, being in the forefront, showing off clothes in my body, whether, I mean, I'm getting ready to do a photo shoot with Kalia seven months pregnant. And I love that because they're so excited about it. But it's it's this like embracing who you are and embracing the moment you're in as a woman. And I think now being a mother to a daughter, it's all that more important to me to align myself with brands like this and to be comfortable being at the forefront of things because we're not all perfect. We're all going to go through phases of life where we're insecure. But if we can all be transparent about it, I think we'll all handle it a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. For someone who's listening to this, that's struggling with that self-acceptance. You could even call it radical self-acceptance, which clearly can be really difficult at times. What advice do you have for them? Find a, find a good support system. I tried to find radical self-acceptance on my own, and I was not capable of doing that. And I would even call myself pretty strong-minded. And I still needed a lot of help. So I found confidence in like, I confided in my parents and my best friend and my husband, my nutritionist, a psychologist. And it was having that accountability circle to kind of keep me on point long enough that it became muscle memory. And that when some negative thought creeped into my mind, it was foreign and not the, the reverse. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say like, confide in someone. You need someone. You need support. Always. And what I'm hearing you say also is that it took reps, right? Even when you were reflecting about the fact that you've been working with a nutritionist for something like 10 years earlier, that is not like I met with someone three times and I am a completely different person. And there is absolutely no shame or shade to the concept of that it will not happen overnight. No, and it, it won't. And I feel like it's just like, that goes against all of culture these days because we live in a world that wants to fix everything immediately. We want the fast fix to every question we have. And if you want a true fix, if you want to heal in any in any aspect or area of your life, it will take a lot of time. It will take a lot of time. Sean, I'm curious, you know, someone comes to your Instagram page right now, they see this wife and this mom and an Olympian. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you these days? Oh, just someone who has stopped trying so hard. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, it in a good way. I used to put so much exhausted effort into making sure people had a good thought of me and and I was doing it all the wrong ways and I think when you look at like my Instagram I'm willing to look like a hot mess and goof off with my husband and film it and post it for the world to see and I love it I could care less I I love the freedom that I feel in my mind and in my body and that's because of the people I have around me 
And I just wish I could go back and tell my teenage self, like, stop trying. So that attitude really radiates people. from you. And again, it's a hard place to get to. It is truly such a journey to get to a place where it's like, I feel free being me entirely. It's definitely something that I'm struggling with always. I mean, I'll be working on it for the rest of my life. Amen. And like I said, I'm not perfect. I still have the hard days. I still choose willingly to read every Instagram comment and DM. Oh, how do you let those roll off? Some I don't. Uh huh. And the ones that I don't, I take to my husband. What's your strategy for when something really gets to you? It's interesting. So the reason why I read all of them is I'm almost protective of my followers who read comments. Oh, <laughs> that makes sense. that's very interesting, so actually. It's almost like this motherly instinct of I don't want other people reading hurtful, hateful speech because people shouldn't be saying it in the first place. Mm, I don't read mm -hmm. it to respond. I read it to like get rid of it. And how do I like how do I let it bounce off? If it's pointed towards me, I usually can bounce it off pretty well where I'm just like, it's fine. People are just having a bad day. Get rid of it. If people attack people that I love, I have a hard time. Yeah. And that's usually when I go to my husband and he's like, it's not a big deal. Delete it. Don't think about it. Don't read it. But we, we have this like motto at home since we live on social media that whatever you respond to, you get more of. And we, as hard as it is for me, because I would love to clap back at people, just kind of like we're taught in kindergarten, spread more kindness. I absolutely love yeah. that. And then he's also like, where do they live and can I beat them up? I understand. Yes. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get it. Such a such a really beautiful perspective. Wherever you water, the grass grows, right? So like to focus on the good, to focus on the kindness, it only empowers and enables you to find more of that in your day to day. Yes, which isn't always easy. But no, <laughs> it certainly isn't. I'm so grateful that we were able to make this time today. I know you just mentioned a piece of advice you'd give your younger self, but I end every episode the exact same way, asking you to give a piece of advice to yourself during one of your most difficult hurdle moments, arguably when you were dealing with such a difficult conversation, internal dialogue surrounding the eating disorder back in 2008, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self during mm -hmm. that hurdle moment? I mean, I get two things come to mind. I would say ask for help sooner. It took me getting to a really dark place for me to ever ask for help. And I think if we are all just a little less stubborn and we asked for help sooner, it would prevent a lot of things. And then in the moment of like when I was in that dark place and I finally asked for help and I was trying to get better, I would say give more to the people who are helping you. And I, I mean that in the sense of I always, even when I asked for help, I still tried to reserve so much to myself where I was like, oh, I can handle that. I don't need to tell them. Or I don't need to tell them the, the whole thing. And I think just like when people are truly trying to help you, unload it all onto them. And I don't mean that like in a disrespectful way to them. But if my daughter or a friend ever came to me and said, I need help with this, I would want them to put all of the weight on me because I'm walking in there with the confidence and the, the knowledge of knowing like I can handle this and I want to support you and I know you can't handle it right now. So 
just like carrying, let people carry the weight for you when you need it the most. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. And again, just so grateful that we were able to get to talk to Sean, the all around person, not just Sean, the gymnast. (laughs) For those that don't follow along with you just yet, although I'm sure many of them do, how do they keep up with you? Give us the details, Sean. Sean Johnson or Sean Johnson East on all platforms and the East fam on YouTube. On YouTube. I'm over at Emily Abadi at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.